Thank you all for joining me today. My name is Danielle Daura. I am co-founder of Find My Parent and head of advocacy. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Petra Dieter, an award-winning film director. Her film, Reborn, about domestic violence, premiered at the legendary Chinese theater in Hollywood. It won over two dozen international awards and was screened at festivals and theaters around the world. Her latest film is a feature-length documentary titled At All Costs. This documentary examines a five-year-old, a five-year custody battle and the system failure that led to the murder of a 10-year-old boy by his father. Dr. Petra Dieter is also founder of Victim to Hero Institute, an NGO working on the issue of parental alienation. She's a researcher, and she herself is a survivor of child abuse and domestic violence. She was alienated as a child and alienated as a mother. Today, we'll be speaking about her personal experience being alienated as a child and then a mother, her five-factor model on diagnosing parental alienation and how parents can use this as evidence in court. And finally, we'll be speaking about the many interviews and research she has done on adult children of parental alienation and their experiences. So today we're here with uh, Petra Dieter, who is founder of Victim to Hero, award-winning film director of various documentaries and films that focus on issues related to domestic violence and parental alienation. Just a very passionate social entrepreneur that's using that passion to make a great impact for, for parents and children that are dealing with or at risk for parental alienation. Thank you for being with us today, Petra. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I would just love if you could tell us a bit about yourself and, and your journey from, from wherever you'd like to start. Yeah, so my background is, um, is I guess, a bit of filmmaking. But um, I when I, um, I guess recently, uh, a few years ago, I discovered that I was actually uh, an alienated child, um, um, you know, for... I assume that your audience is familiar with the term parental alienation, but for people that are not familiar with it, it's essentially um, a child that was um, the relationship with one of the parents is being influenced and impacted by someone else. Um, and so my mother alienated me from my mother, from my father. And um, I didn't know this because as a child, you are programmed and brainwashed by this alienator and in my case, it's one of my parents. So, you know, as a child, you tend to, you tend to look up to your parents and believe whatever they say. So my mother had this narrative that my father was a, a monster. I mean, there was no specific as to why he was a monster, but essentially he was bad and that, um, you know, I, uh, that he didn't want anything to do with us, that he rejected us and therefore, you know, um, I just kind of took on that narrative and uh, all of my life, and I uh, I believed her, and I just kind of parroted this. And then a few years ago, you know, in my forties, 
I finally woke up to someone, actually it was somebody in my family, kind of tipped this to me and said, hey, uh, I can't hold it any longer. I have to tell you that um, I have to, to tell you everything that your mother did to prevent you from having a relationship with your father. Um, I never end up having that conversation with that relative, but then immediately it clicked to me. And so I started doing searching um, and I, um, I found um, a website um, so I did a search uh, and, and, you know, I was not familiar with, and I'm not sure if I, my parent was around at the time yet, but um, I essentially did what you are trying to do now to help children connect with their parents is I had started searching for my father, you know, searching with his name and, um, you know, any bit of information that I could find about him um, that I knew about him. And um, I actually found a website that he left for me. He had passed by that point. So I never got the opportunity to um, connect with him. Um, but so so um, that's when I became aware of what parental alienation was. And so I thought I would do a documentary film about parental alienation. I thought I would find, you know, a few people, if I'm lucky, to share their story so that I would have a way of, you know, sharing my story without me talking about it. Um, and I thought, well, you know, uh, this should take just, you know, maybe 10 weeks. You know, I would just, if I'm lucky, maybe I find, you know, three, four, five people and then interview and then put together a documentary. And, and that's, that's my, my sort of a little bit naive thought. So, um, so I went on social media and post something about, Hey, you know, I want to do this documentary film. And then, um, very quickly, I got thousands of responses and it shocked me. And then I started to talk to these people, you know, parents and children. And, um, you know, very quickly, I realized that this problem is really big and it's really deep. And so by now I interview about over a thousand people, both parents and children. Um, and it's shocking. And so I realized that you could do a documentary film, but you, um, you're not being able to help so many people, you know, I realized that the problem is so big. And while I'm working on the film, I should share what I'm learning. And so that's why I created Victim to Hero to help um, educate parents and children. And then when I'm trying to help these parents, I realize that the problem, um, you can empower the parents, you can, you can empower the adult children, but the system itself is actually very flawed. There's a serious problem with the system with the, you know, the lack of recognition of the problem in the law. So, you know, all at all level, actually, when you're looking at judges, therapists, uh, you know, mental health professionals, lawyers, um, you know, uh, law enforcement, people are so unaware of this problem, you know, school teachers, um, just really everywhere. And, and it, I, I didn't realize how big the problem was until that point. And so, now we, uh, with Victim to Hero, I, um, you know, we, we're trying to do as much as we can, but we provide resources to educate parents and, and children. So we have ongoing programs to, to teach them what to do. But we also have, um, you know, training program where I, you know, educate legislators and judges and therapists, like mental health professional and, lawyers and things like that about parental alienation. And then we, we also do advocacy work where we uh, lobby for law changes to what we're trying to do is to get different ways to uh, 
get parental alienation recognized as a form of child abuse, but also to help parents to enforce their rights so that they can fight for their children. Um, I'm sorry, this is a very long. I don't that, know. If that that's is perfect. What... That that is great, and I'm I'm so sorry that that's the you know the way you had to come to find out about parental alienation and and that you were never really you're never able to reconnect with the father if I understand correctly because he'd already passed. How, how did you? How did you deal with that personally and emotionally? Um, I guess was it over thirty years that you you didn't have a relationship with your father? Um, it is actually really really tough. And by the way, um, you mentioned like you know how treasured the way that I found out about this. I wanted to uh, to mention and I want to acknowledge this for um, so. It, it turned out that it's not just me, actually, everyone, all the victims out there, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm sure most of, like, if not all of your audience actually came through this journey the same way that I do is that when we're first looking at this stuff that's going on in our life, we know that something is wrong, but I don't think any of us realize what we are looking at, especially for parents. A lot of the time they experience parental alienation and they don't know that nobody knows that there's a name exists. They don't, but nobody knows that this is the thing that everybody felt like what they are experiencing is an isolated incident that, that they are alone and that they are the only one that experiencing this and perhaps there's something wrong with them. Um, this is something that very common with victims is we, and, and this go back to the aspect of the lack of awareness because such a lack of social and public awareness on this issue that even for victims, we don't know that we are the victims of this. And, um, and so we've said, you know, how tragic it is the way that I found out. In fact, like I think all of us found out this way is that we have been so deep into it by the time that we realize, and really there's so many victims out there today that don't really even know that they are victims. Um, and, and if you don't recognize a problem, you can't solve it. Um, and that's the thing. The first step is actually uh, understanding that, you know, this is a problem like this and then understand what are the diagnosis of it and what are the treatments for it. Um, so as as far as for me personally, um, it's 40 years, over 40 years growing up without my father. I met him twice very briefly and um, it's, it's, it has, it's impacted every aspect of my life. Um, you know, Really, um, and for anybody, uh, as a child, you're growing up, you, you need both parents. You, you long for your parents and, um, to not have a father, um, you know, not having that father figure, it impacted all the aspects of your life because not only you have been removed from a loving parent that you need, but also now you've been placed in the hand of really a toxic and, and abusive parent because my mother now parented this, you know, that she, she had this false narrative of my, my, my father saying he didn't want us. He, he wanted nothing to do with me and all that kind of thing. So now I grew up with a sense of, you know, what, what was wrong with me? Why even my father didn't love me? Why didn't, you know, even my parent, I'm not good enough for my parents. You know, what is wrong with me? Right. So you grew up kind of broken and damaged. And so it impacted your self-esteem. It impacted your ability to connect with other people because you lose trust in relationship because you look at your parents and seeing, you know, oh, my mother said my father abandoned us. So now how can you go and trust? And so it impacted really all aspects of your life. And I've done a lot of research into this. Uh, and I'm currently a researcher at the University of Tasmania, a department of psychology, you know, in the medical school there. And, um, and yeah, you see this a lot in, in research. And like I said, I interview over a thousand victims on this. And 
Yeah, it impacted all aspects of our lives because, you know, it caused PTSD, um, it caused health behaviors. Um, I didn't suffer this, but a lot of people are sick, you know, because they, they try to um, sell sort of, um, I don't know the term, but, you know, trying to, to be comfortable. So they seek dependency on alcohol and substance use, things like that, right? And then they lead, it leads to issues like, you know, um, suicidal ideation. It leads to like relationship breakdown. Um, and then it causes you end up into, because you don't know what a good relationship looks like. You don't know how to set boundaries. You don't know what love looks like because you grew up in an, in an abusive environment. So you, you saw, and, and the love of the alienators is a conditional love. It's not unconditional because you knew all along that if you don't follow the narrative, if I didn't parrot her narrative, I, and I had to survive because she's the only caretaker that I had left because obviously my father has been blocked from my life. So I have to do whatever she Please. So she wanted me to say that my father's bad. So I'm going to go and parrot that same message. So you grew up not knowing what unconditional love looked like. So you end up with, um, you know, cycle of abusive relationships. And this is very common among victims. And this is what I end up with. And you, you started with the introduction where you said, you know, I made film about domestic violence. And this is because that was what I went through. Um, before I learned about parental alienation, I went through abusive relationship after relationship. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that I'm survived. I almost got killed, you know, and things like that. And, and it's, it's not just me. A lot of victims out there, this is how it impacted us. Um, and today, um, you know, I have learned so much about domestic violence. I learned so much about, um, you know, abusive relationship and about parental alienation. And I'm now in a healthy, loving marriage. Um, and, and I recovered my children because I end up, um, and this is a very common thing too, is that victim of parental alienation, like when you experience it as a child, when you grew up, you likely end up being a victim of parental alienation as parents yourself. It's a general transgenerational thing. Um, and that's what happened to me that I also became an alienated mother. Um, and I had to fight for my children. So, um, today, um, even though I have recovered my children, um, currently I have loving and happy relationship with my children. You know, I'm happily married and I learned so much about it. It still has impact in my daily life. I'm still struggling with healing from these traumas. It's still, you know, um, it's still a struggle. You, you never quite recover. And it's, I think it's still going to be a long journey ahead, even though, um, you know, you can, you can understand it logically, but emotionally to recover is going to take yeah, time to heal. Absolutely. absolutely. I just, I also wonder how, how did you manage when, when you figured this out and you decided, you know, you're going to do a documentary and then you really become like a full-blown advocate, you know, fighting against parental alienation um, how did that affect your relationship with with your mother, who is now your only living parent at this point? How were you able, were you able to kind of still have a relationship with her? How were you able to, because one day she's going to see your documentary and maybe it's going to her mind that, you know, you, you figured it out, you know what happened. How, how did you manage that? Yeah, so unfortunately, when I, um, this actually happened before I started Victim to Hero, um, when I realized 
the situation and found the information about my father, um, I confronted her and she um, denied that. And then not only that, she then started a whole campaign of attacking me and doing pretty much everything that she did um, to my father and everything that I'm seeing as textbook parental alienation, you know, like um, parental in parental alienation, a lot of targeted parents end up being a victim of false allegation and, you know, length court uh, battles and things like that. So I end up, she end up dragging me through a two years battle with her. Um, and then it ended up with her finally giving up and now she walked away and we no longer have a relationship. Wow. Wow. So, so really like the whole, it, it, it's been, it means that you've lost two parents really because of parental alienation. Yes. It, it's, um, it's actually really painful to realize um, that you've actually uh, been an orphan all along, you know, as an adult to, um, so yeah. So like I said, you know, you, um, and, and this is really tough for adult children of parental alienation is that you lost one loving parent. You ended up with an abusive parent. And then when you finally wake up and realize it, chances are you're going to lose that abusive parent because they're not going to stand for it. And so now you end up losing both really. Yeah. Which is such a hard place to be. And I think, I mean, I'm, I think that this is a fear of a lot of adult children that when they realize that they are victims of parental alienation and sometimes parental abduction because they're so, so linked is that they're really eternally afraid to accept it and, you know, admit that it's the truth because they fear losing, you know, that, that one parent and they don't know the other parent, you know, in reality who they are. So like, do you think it's worth it? What would kind of be your message to them, to people who are maybe just internally denying it and ignoring what they think really happened to them? Yeah, I, I see that actually very common. I mean, I interview so many children um, and like adult children, and many of them um, do not recognize that they are alienated. And then when you interview them and you can hear everything, you know, from, um, you know, they were like you said, abducted after the separation or divorce. They were so young that they had no idea what was happening and they never get a chance to hear the other side of the story. And then, yeah, it's it's really tough. And the thing is, um, and then even for people that do acknowledge that, you know, they are victims of parental alienation, a lot of them are too scared to come out and speak publicly because they wanted to protect that relationship with that even though abusive parents, they still want to love both parents. They want, still wanted to, you know, that's still their parents. And I mean the same thing like with everything that my mother did. You know, I it's still sad to lose my mother. I don't want to lose my mother, um, even though she's been abusive to me my whole life. But, and that's the thing is, it's really tough for these children. Um, I think, I think um, it's hard to acknowledge that's what they're dealing with. But I think it's a very important part of the healing process. Is they're going to continue to live this broken life? Um, and, and there's that big gap. This is this big hole in your life that they're part of it that probably never going to be able to, to you, you will never be able to fix that. But you still have the rest of your life that you need to heal and you need to thrive. And I think that I think that there's a score of 
psychology that believe that you have to go back and, you know, like deal with it. So there's another school of psychology that said, you know, you can just close down the past and then moving forward. Um, the thing is, okay, if you follow the, the school that's saying, you know, you need to deal with the past, then yeah, you, you should face it. You should acknowledge it and then figure out how to moving forward. Now, if you follow the other school of thought of saying, you know, um, let's just not deal with the past, shut it down and moving forward. The problem is a lot of these adult children, um, victims, they, they wanted to move forward and they think they closed out the past and not dealing with it. But the reality is they are not. They it's still carry, um, they carry with that, with them every day in their life. It's still a part of the way they think and it's just there hidden, whether they acknowledge or not. And it influenced all of their life decision. And you know how our life is shaped is based on our decision, right? What what we do, what relationship we have, uh, where we're gonna go with our life, it's all based on our decision. And yet, all of the decisions they make is influenced by this thing that's sitting in the corner of their mind. And so, if they choose not to deal with the past and not acknowledge it, that's okay. But they have to figure out how to not have that sitting there as an elephant in the room. Um, and then that's a problem. Yeah, I can I can understand that absolutely. I think I think you're a really prime example of the very clear long-term effects of parental alienation. So like you mentioned having to endure, you know, domestic abuse being, you know, at risk for for being part of domestic I'm sorry, abusive relationships, um, at risk for being alienated yourself and then, you know, having to come to terms with the fact that, you know, you, you might lose one parent, you might lose both parents. So really, it, it comes to this brings point like we need to we need to prevent parental alienation because just reuniting parents and children is not enough because it doesn't take away all of those those deep scars that exist, especially on children, but also on parents. So you mentioned that you do a lot of work with legislatures, medical professionals, legal professionals, etc. Like, what do you think is is the most important thing we can do then to to prevent parental alienation, so we don't have to deal with all these really deep and complex long term problems? Yeah, um, I I wanted to um, mention like so you talk about how you know I'm the prime example of this. I wanted to mention the interesting thing is that for an outsider to look at me, which is how our society look at parental alienation, is that um, from the outside, you would notice that, right? Um, um, from, you know, I spent, you know, I grew up in, you know, 40, over 40 years of my life. Uh, everyone look at me as a, as a, um, healthy adult human being, uh, contributing, uh, member of society, you know, successful by a lot of measure, you know, financially. And, and, you know, I have a PhD, so well educated. I travel the world, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, um, that's a that's a big problem is that when you're looking from the outside you don't see this sky you don't see this brokenness you don't see these damages and so society don't even recognize that that's a problem um and and that's a big problem and and that's the same thing with these children's or all parents actually for parents it's devastating i i don't usually talk about parents a lot a lot but oh it's 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 like parents suffering so greatly, it caused, um, you know, the parents that committed suicide, the parents that their life is just essentially ended, even though they're still alive. It's, it's traumatic for, for both parents and children. Um, and so 
I think one of the we need solutions at all level. Um, we need from the public level, we need public awareness because I want to give an example about my personal experience. So one of the, for example, one of the behavior in parental alienation is the alienators will try to do things to remove the other parent, any, any memories or any influence of the other parent. So one of the things that they may do is they try to change the child's name illegally. Um, right. So one of the things my mother did was she encouraged me to use her name instead of using my legal last name, which is my father's last name. So I was a kid and I started to go to school and I started using my my mother's name instead of my father's name. And then one day, um, 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 one of my mother's acquaintance or friend or someone uh, came to visit the house. And then my mother walked out of the house for a moment, like maybe she walked out somewhere. And this woman came up to me and very gently, but very sharply said to me, I want to let you know what your mother encouraging to you to use her name is illegal. Your legal name is your father's last name. And for you to using a wrong name, going through school like that, you're going to have trouble later. And not to mention, you're going to have trouble later, but it is wrong and it's illegal. She just made a very short and brief statement, very firm, but very gentle. And then my mother came back. And I want to tell you, I never forget that statement. As a child, I think I was seven or eight. I had no idea what that mean. But from that point on, I never used my mother name again. I used my real legal name from that point on. So for the public, you can do a lot. If people can recognize this and somebody can just step in, um, whether they step in or not, even if they don't enable or encourage the alienators, that can do a lot to help the situation. Right now, the problem is, like, for example, I do a lot of um, talk and I go out and I try to do advocacy work. And when you go into the public and when I give a talk and I usually start out saying, you know, um, does anyone know what parental alienation is? Very often you look into this big crowded room and it's just blank faces. Nobody understand what, nobody know what parental alienation is. But then when I started to explain and I said, you know, this is when, um, usually happen in separation or divorce. Um, you know, it's to do with one person. It could be a parent or step parent or, or somebody else. Um, try to, influence the child to not have a relationship with the other parent or interfere with that relationship. Sometimes it's abduction or prevention, preventing that, that relationship. And when I explain it like that, you know, and sometimes it could be by saying things like, you know, your father is abusive or your mother is mentally unstable or things like that, bringing the child in the middle of the adult problem. And when I explain it like that, really, you get the whole room, everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then you, you know, and consistently, you know, when we show our documentary film or when we go and talk or anything, there's always people afterward coming up and there's always a lot of people come up and always say, oh yeah, this is, you know, my cousin going through this, my friend going through this, you know, or I, this happened to me. And, you know, everybody has seen this. It's just so common that everybody has seen this. The only thing is they didn't recognize that this is a problem. They don't realize how damaging it is. They don't realize that this is a problem. So a lot of the time, one, they don't interfere, or two, they happen to enable the behavior. So it makes things worse. So in terms of solution, you're asking for solution. Um, in the public level, if we can bring public awareness so that people realize that 
One, this is a problem. Two, that it's a very serious problem. So, for example, in America alone, there's over 22 million parents who are victims of this. So, if you're looking at the children, the number of children is a lot greater. There's a study by um, uh, that was published by the American Bar Association. Uh, it's from a book by Dr. Claywire um, called um, Children Held Hostage. Um, he looked at cases of divorce and separation, and he found that I think, uh, I forgot the exact number, but I think it's like 70 to 80% of the children experience parental alienation behaviors. I think he called it programming and brainwashing. But essentially, we know that's the same thing. Um, so 70 to 80% of the children that go into a separation or divorce are experiencing um, a form of brainwashing or programming against one of their parents. So, you know, this problem is very common. So if the public can realize that this is a problem. It is widespread and is very damaging. That could help a lot. So that's a public level. Now, um, there are solutions that we need to, to seek at all levels. So, you know, from the system level, we need the law to change, to recognize that this is a problem. This is a form of child abuse. This is a form of child abuse and a form of domestic violence because the alienators is using the child as a weapon in order to harm their ex-partner. So this is a form of domestic violence as well. Um, there's a study uh, from um, Colorado State University that showed that this is a form of child abuse and domestic violence by Dr. Hammond. And so, you know, we need the law to change. So that's from the system level. And then in the professional level, we need everybody to get training and education to recognize that this is a big problem. This is a public health issue. Um, and it's Unfortunately, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter where you are, which country you're from, which culture you're from. It doesn't matter if you how educated or uneducated you are. It doesn't matter if you are homeless or if you are super wealthy. I have talked to victims who are multimillionaires, who are CEO of the Fortune 500 company, you know, in the executive level. I talk to people who are homeless. This problem does not discriminate. It doesn't matter what race you are. And it definitely does not discriminate if you are a woman or a man. It's, 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 not biased, unfortunately, it's very widespread. So we need education to judges, lawyers, therapists, uh, you know, like all the mental health professionals, uh, teachers, you know, staff at school, really at all levels. So we need that. We need system uh, changes in the law. We need education and awareness at the professional level. And then we need to empower victims. So, um, you know, when you're looking at any kind of, um, any kind of really any any type of victim. So if you talk about, for example, domestic violence, uh, in the U.S., for example, there are hotlines for domestic violence. There are shelters for domestic violence. You know, we're, you know the same with, for example, uh, suicide hotline. There's, um, you know, gay and lesbian. There's advocacy. You know, there's funding for that. There's places that they can go. But when you talk about parental alienation, there's no hotlines, there's no shelter, there's no funding, there's no recognition, there's no resources, there's nowhere for victims to go. And I'm talking about parents victim, I'm talking about children victim. You know, like for example, uh, for me, as an adult child of parental alienation, I'm the adult uh, child victim. Now that I recognize that I was a victim, there's nowhere for me to go to seek help. There's no places for me to find a way of healing. Just because I, I'm an adult doesn't mean that it doesn't still impact me. And yet victims like me do not have resources. Now for parents, it's even worse. Not only is there no resources for them to go and get help, uh, they are often 
being dragged through the court system and being abused through that system. So they, I see parents that lose their job, selling their home, losing all of their money, you know, just desperately trying to hold on to the hope that they can get their children back. It's ridiculous. So we need resources for victims. And then we definitely need to find a way to empower victims, to educate parents to how to fight for their children and to find a way of healing for themselves, but also for the, the, the children as well. So really, we need, we need solutions at all levels. Absolutely. I completely agree. So I think some of the biggest barriers are, you know, lack of public awareness, even though it's such a widespread problem. And I also see that one of the, the biggest arguments against parental alienation and against having like legislation that actually holds people accountable for alienating their children is this argument that domestic abusers will use parental alienation basically to, to keep their children from the spouse that they're abusing. I would personally argue that obviously as a society, as a system, court justice system, we have to protect both true victims of domestic violence. You know, no child, woman or man should be a victim of domestic violence. That is not, you know, you know, appropriate or it's, it's not the society we want. At the same time, we also have to protect true victims of parental alienation, including the parent, the mother or the father and the child. So given your experience in, you know, with personal experience with domestic violence, the films that you've created around the matter, how do you think we can create a system or what needs to be done so that our courts and our justice system can, can protect both groups at the same time? Because it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, we're only going to protect one and we're not going to, we're going to ignore the other. There has to be a way that we can address parental alienation at the same time protecting true victims of parental alienation because false allegations on either side, it's the true victim that pays the price for it, right? The true victim, whether that be a violence, like physical violence or, you know, emotional violence, that is what we see with, with parental alienation. Yeah, I see this argument a lot. Um, and actually, um, unfortunately, they uh this this false argument this really um i i don't i don't know how to characterize the term for it but it is really um lack of substance argument is unfortunately is getting um getting um a lot of buy ins in the legislation um level and actually even for us right uh, even today i got a a response from one of the senators in Texas that we've been talking to for a long time who, you know, they themselves, when they heard our stories, they were crying. They were like listening to, we brought in these victims and meet with them. And they, and then yet today they wrote to us and said, we're not going to deal with anything to do with the word parental alienation because of this exact argument that you presented. We see we're facing this everywhere. And and it's ridiculous because when you talk about any form of crime, right, you will always find people that misuse. You will always find the criminals, the the abuser who will misuse this this term. So even like let's say murder, right? Even when you talk about murder, you you will find the murderer trying to blame it on someone else. That that for any type of crime, you will see this is just because. There's a potential that someone will misuse 
a term doesn't mean that we don't recognize that. So just because a murderer will deny that they are a murderer and they might blame it on someone else, doesn't mean that we stop recognizing that murder is a crime. So the same thing with this. Yeah, there's a potential that someone will misuse the term parental alienation in order to take the child away from, uh, you know, a good parent. Still, doesn't mean that we don't recognize that parental alienation is a problem that is real, that is a crime. Um, so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that recognize parental alienation um, as a form of child abuse, that it's something that is bad, that is a problem, doesn't remove, it doesn't change the fact that the system still have, even whether you recognize or not, right now, the system still have to have a way of identify and diagnosing false allegation. Because yeah, you say there are people that falsely use the term parental alienation um, in order like abusive parents might use that in order to take the child from a protective parent. But at the same time, we also have seen a lot of victim of parental alienation who are falsely accused of domestic violence. Because very often alienators will will claim that, oh, you know, this parent is abusive, so therefore I, I hit the child. So you, you can, you, you need to look at the two sides of the coin. Both sides, it can happen to both sides. You have false allegation on both sides. So just because, and you recognize domestic violence, just because you don't recognize parental alienation, it doesn't remove the, the, the need for the court and the system to be able to identify true abuse and when false allegations have happened, that burden in the court and the system is still there, whether you recognize parental alienation or not. So to say, oh, because there's people that may be falsely accused this and that, uh, therefore we don't recognize that. I think that is such a straw man argument. And, and that just doesn't work. The system um, needs to have a better way of recognizing and identify false allegation. That is definitely a very critical part of the law. The, the system has to find a way of identifying that because people are going to abuse anything. It's, it's not just to do with parental alienation. False allegation can destroy anybody in any form and it is any kind of crime. So that's the system has to do. But, you know, we still have to recognize domestic violence as a form of abuse. We still need to recognize parental alienation as a form of abuse. Unfortunately, I will come out and say this, is that there are special interest groups who are benefiting from putting parental alienation advocacy work as a black sheep in order to get funding from the government. They do get a lot of funding by advocating against um, the victims of parental alienation. By denying that parental alienation is real, they actually are getting more funding and they're using that as a platform. So unfortunately, we actually have people that have motive against this. And, and that is a very big problem. Absolutely. So when you talk about needing to have, you know, objective tools and methods to, to identify false allegations and to identify true victims of domestic violence and true victims of parental alienation, if we want to talk about the U.S., do the, do you know, do you believe the courts currently have those tools or they're just instead deciding to ignore parental alienation kind of exists so they don't have to even develop those, those methods? Because it won't be easy to, to develop those, but I'm sure it could be figured out. So, yeah, so um, part of it is this. 
the system refused to enforce what is in the system. So, for example, right now, um, perjury, right? Perjury is when if you can prove someone intentionally make false allegation about you in order to benefit themselves, that's uh, and and in court, like you know, under under oath, is perjury. Now, perjury right now is is a crime. It's either a felony or a misdemeanor. It depends on which state you are. So it's already in the law. Perjury is is a problem. So for parents, uh, for example, who are victim of parental alienation, very often the alienators will come up with a false allegation to in order to take the child away from that parent. So then these parents then go out of their way, you know, proving that this is a a false allegation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So now they have proven that there's perjury. The system refused to hold the the person who committed perjury accountable. There's no, even though it's in the law that it's a felony, that that it is, or it's a misdemeanor, depends on whatever state you are. Nothing is done about it, and that's one of the problem. The system is not enforcing what's already in the system. If we can start enforcing that and say, well. You know, perjury. This is a serious consequence. It would actually deter a lot of people from coming up with false allegation because if you think, "Oh, I may go to jail if I lie about," you know, saying that my ex-husband is beating me up or my ex-wife is this and that. Like, if if I can see the risk that I might go to jail for lying, maybe I will hold back, right? But the system's not doing anything. There's no, there's no consequences. And so, if I can just lie, and you know, if some I get away with it, then I I win. And if I don't get away with it, I don't have any ramification for me. Then there's nothing to stop me from keep doing it. And that's one of the big problem is there are parents that I've seen that going to court one after another, just fighting from one false allegation to another false allegation to false another false allegation, and then they just end up end up like just completely drained. You know, psychologically, financially, time, and losing their children in the meanwhile. It, and that's part of the big problem with that system. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot uh, what was your original question, and I kind of di- digress it. No, so I, so I was just asking if, if they had really the tools to address those false allegations, which it seems that they have some tools to address false allegations related to like perjury and, you know, um, yeah. oh, you know falsifying documents. Exactly. And then there's other tools for too, for example, like custody interference or, or abduction, right? Child abduction. Um, you know, they're very often, um, that's also another very common tactic for alienators is to kidnap the child or the preventing the child from, uh, the, the parent from getting the child during their time. But, and it's considered also, you know, in a lot of states, it's a felony and in some other states, it's, it's misdemeanor. The same thing. The system is refusing to enforce what's already in the law. So when that happened, you can call the police and a lot of the time they do nothing about it. And, and so, yes, there's a lot of tools that are already there that the system is not utilizing. And that's, that's a very big problem. Absolutely. So there just seems to be, you know, kind of barrier after barrier when it comes to addressing parental alienation, especially in the United States, but I would say also around the world might be that we have actually better laws and uh, things in place in other countries. So I would would love if you could tell us a bit about your work at Victim to Hero, how you support families, uh, the different initiatives um, that you take to to address all of these very complex and deep-rooted barriers. Yes, so we have have events um, 
you know, sometimes several time a week, sometime once a week, but we really have events very regularly. Um, they all, most of them are virtual events. So, you know, uh, online, but sometimes we do have in-person events that, um, it's, you know, all, all type of events. So we have, for example, we bring in, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, lawyers, judges, where we interview them about, you know, how to fight parental alienation in court, how to deal with grief, how to talk to your children, how to win your children back, how to understand false allegations, how to understand what your children's going through. We also interview successful cases, you know, where parents that have found their children or reunited with their children. Um, we also interview a lot of adult children of parental alienation because we wanted parents to recognize what happened to them, to their children, because a lot of this happened behind closed doors, uh, especially when they were younger. So these adult children are the only people that can tell you what really happened uh, and how they felt as children. So we interview a lot of these. So we have a lot of these on um, online events. And then we also have in-person events sometimes. You know, we had a picnic recently on the beach with bonfire and all that. It was really nice. Um, you know, building, we wanted to build that um, support system. We have some private Facebook group. We sometimes have private Zoom events um, for our people that subscribe to our mailing list, you know, where we teach them different aspects of, you know, whatever it is. Could be the law or could be the you know, psychology of this. We also uh, help with when parents wanted to get into advocacy work. So we also show them how to change the law in their states and things like that. So we have that. And then we also have um, public awareness campaigns. So for example, um, right now we have a campaign called Children First. So um, this campaign, what we do is there's an online aspect of it is we have a frame, a Facebook frame, you know, like the frame that you can put on your um on your picture profile pictures and it said children first. Um, and then that link back to our, our um, campaigns that talk about how, you know, all of this is, the problem is a lot of the alien, alienators don't recognize the damage that caused to the children. And the same with lawyers and mental health professionals and judges. They look at this as, you know, this is a dispute between parents. And then they forget that the children are truly the true victim, the first victim, and everyone forget to put the children first. And so that's why we have this campaign called Children First. Um, so yeah, so we have the online aspect of it, but in person, uh, what we're gonna have is on April 23rd, it's a Saturday, um, we're gonna have um, a campaign around the world to bring social awareness. And what we're gonna do is we have what called flash mob. And for people that are not familiar with what a flash mob is, is a flash mob is a group of people that suddenly assemble and do a brief performance. So for us, we have a dance in a public place and then disappear. So we're going to, and uh, we're gonna do this in right now, I think we have 26 or 27 cities around the world that we're gonna do this. Uh, and anyone is invited to participate with us. We have a, a simple dance, it's one minute choreography, and uh, we have a song that we play to this. And essentially it's just to bring awareness. So imagine you go about your day, this is a Saturday, April 23rd, you know, at a crowded place. Um, and if you are just a public, suddenly you see a group of people get in the middle of like, let's say a shopping mall or, you know, some, 
a famous place in your city where it's all crowded. Suddenly, a group of people get in the middle and dance to a song and then hold up a sign that has the hashtag children first and then link to our website uh, where we explain what the campaign is about. Um, then, you know, it's kind of cause attention because people just go, oh, we thought this is a fun and positive way of sending our messages. And when you see something like that, people tend to film this. So we have this dance and we have like, like so 26, 27 cities around the world that um, that are planning for this dance. Um, so, you know, when people see this, they usually film it and share it. And we have our hashtag as children first. So hopefully when people share this, they will start to notice that, oh, you know, not only me seeing this, but, you know, this has happened in, you know, London and in New York and uh, in um, Paris and, you know, like all around the world. Uh, you know, so if, then hopefully it would bring a lot more awareness. And, you know, we hope to get public awareness. We hope to get more media attention, things like that. So that's a campaign that we have right now that's coming up. Um, like I said, we have these cities that are practicing. We're also looking for more people to do more, like if they can volunteer to help organize the flash mob in their own cities as well. So we're hoping to add more cities to this. Um, we have, like I said, a simple dance and um, everyone's going to wear a little blue ribbon on their outfits to signify um, parental alienation. And then we're going to make sure that everyone in the audience can see that this is the hashtag for the campaign is children first. Um, so that's one of our public awareness campaign. Another campaign that we have is called Boundless Love. So with this campaign, um, what I'm doing is I wanted to create an art installation. Um, and with this, I, I'm asking parents and people, it doesn't have to be parents, actually, anybody that support this cause to mail um, a cutout, you know, a heart-shaped cutout to me. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping to collect a thousand hard cutouts and then I'm going to hang these hard cutouts on this art installation. And this hard cutout is about two inches or, you know, for people that in um, the metric system, it's five centimeter in dimension. It can be of any material, you know, paper, cardboard, wood, metal, you know, um, I've seen glass, I've seen crochet, I've seen fabric. So parents are saying, mailing this to me in Los Angeles. Um, and so, um, I'm hoping to collect a thousand. I don't have quite a thousand yet, but when I have a thousand, I'm going to, um, create an, an installation. And this inter, inter, installation is, um, I think seven foot tall and nine foot wide. And it has the shape of two sort of like broken heart, but connected to each other, um, to represent, you know, the, the connection between the lost parent and the lost child. Um, and so on there, Parents can have, um, you know, any kind of messages, any kind of decoration. It can be any color, um, as long as there's no personal identifying information. So there's no email address, phone number, or photo, or anything like that. But they can send message to the wall, or they can send message to their children, or their parents, or to themselves. Um, and we get all sort of different messages so far. It's very touching to see, you know, I'm receiving this. So the address you sent to me is Petra Dito at P.O. Box. Um, 56116 in Los Angeles, California, and the zip code is 90056 in America. So it's post office box 56116, Los Angeles, California, 90056 in America. So, um, so that's another campaign. I mean, we have different kind of campaigns. You mentioned about the documentary. Uh, we have two documentary films. Uh, one we finished and there's another one that we are still working on. Um, one of them that we finished called Parental Alienation, The Aftermath. 
And that documentary film, um, we premiered recently at the um, Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Now, for people that are familiar with Los Angeles, this is a very famous landmark. For the people in the entertainment industry, this is a very prestigious venue. Um, it's, um, it, it's, it's not to do with the Chinese culture. It's, it's actually just a very famous landmark. I don't know the history of it, but it's a very prestigious venue. And it's a big theater. We... We premiere our films there as a part of the Golden State Film Festival. And um, I was very fortunate to win uh, Best Director for that documentary film. And then since then, we have been in um, three other uh, film festivals. And next week, actually, yeah, next weekend is um, when our film is going to be at another film festival called the Universe Multicultural Film Festival. Um, so we're looking to get this film out. We're talking to different distributors to try to figure out um, whether we can get on some kind of network to get this film out. But this documentary film features the stories of um, uh, a number of adult children of parental alienation. They share about what they went through and what happened to them. Um, some of it's really tragic, actually. Um, you know, one of one of the case, um, one, one of this particular case, the mother kidnapped um, so she did parental alienation, the parental kidnapping, actually three times. So she had, she had three children and she kidnapped all of them from their father and moved to a different state and completely hid the children from the parents. And it's tragic because, um, one, the oldest child end up, um, so these three children end up bonding together because they are, you know, half sibling and they only have each other basically with this abusive mother. Uh, and, um, so the oldest one end up, he passed away from uh, alcohol abuse. And then the second one is still alive. But when we filmed this film, he asked us to not film his face. So he only shared his voice. And he is totally drug dependent. So he's on meth and he's, he's a, a drug addict and he's completely, his life is out of control and he's just begging. He's essentially, it's such a sad story. He's begging the society to just recognize the kind of suffering that he's going through to not have, to not have his father in his life, to have his father stolen from him. And, um, to grow up like that. So he, and then he sent a message out to other children and said, please don't be like me, you know, trying to find a solution, find, find your parent and, you know, try to heal your life and seek help if you can, but, you know, don't be like me because I don't want anybody like me right now. And, and it's, it's horrible when we interview him. It's just heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, we, we interview and then there's some cases that have a little bit better ending, you know, where they, um, they never get to reunite it with their parents, but they heal. They, they got adopted finally later on in their life and they, you know, finally, you know, they remarried into happy marriages and have their children and, you know, become successful human being and things like that. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so that's the film is called Parental Alienation, the aftermath, um, that we right now, um, looking for distribution. We, and then we also hope to do small screening, um, around the world so that parents and, and people can get a chance to watch it. Uh, but yeah, we have also sort of thing. And then the other thing is obviously we, uh, try to advocate for law changes. So we push a number of bills in different states and also at the Congress level. So like last year, I went to DC and talked to the Congress, uh, about this. And, you know, we're trying to change the law. So that's, 
that is going to be a long process because the system is is a very slow moving machine and it takes a lot of time and work. And so uh, we, you know, we're just going to keep working at it. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of problems in the past. Like, if, for example, it took a lot for people to recognize that smoking can cause lung cancer. I mean, it took took decades, I think, um, when you're going up against a, a you know an industry that's benefiting from the victims. So the same with us right now. There are people that are benefiting from the victims. So we are fighting against that. It's going to take a long time. But I, I have that conviction that we're going to win. We Eventually, the society is going to recognize that this is a problem. Um, it's just a matter of time. So we're going to stick with it. And, and that's the other thing that we do. Um, we do a, a lot of other things, but I can't think of right now. But yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of amazing work. I think it's so important to get those those real stories to the public uh, about about children and and how really parental abduction and alienation because they're very much related are are causing you know long term effects on their life you know very dangerous risks like drug addiction and and uh, negative coping coping mechanisms alcoholism etc. So if any of our listeners are interested in, in watching your documentary or perhaps even setting up like a local screening. How can they go about that? Yeah, so on our uh, Facebook page, we have a link where they can, there's a form where they can fill out. So our Facebook page is Victim to Hero, or they can join our mailing list, or we send out information um, on our website as well. They can contact us, but we have a form for people to fill out to let us know where they are and want, uh, you know, so we can let them know if we have a screening coming up in their city, or if we're not, if they wanted to hold a screening, we can talk to them about that. But yeah, we have a form where people can fill out um, essentially where they are. That way we can coordinate to see, you know, how many people do we have in a particular city so that we can uh, plan this, yeah. Absolutely. And if anybody's interested in your, in, you know, partaking in your events or perhaps um, working with local legislatures in their, in their state or their district to, to push for change, they can also sign up for your mailing list on your website? Yes, yes, yeah. So on victimtohero.com, we, we have the mailing list, um, where we, because sometimes some of our events, we don't put it out to social media. It's like more a private thing. Um, so if you enjoy our mailing list, you can, you can get all of that. Um, and then I do want to mention, um, like I mentioned earlier that I'm currently doing research at the University of Tasmania. Um, I'm really interested in talking to adult children, um, that have been adapt, uh, abducted or alienated from one of their parents um, for this research. So I would love to talk to more of these students or anyone that uh, uh, identify as adult children of victims. You know, I would love to talk to them as well. Great. So we'll be sure to link in the description of the podcast, you know, your website, as well as the PO box where people can send their, their heart art, um, as well as, you know, your social media pages, etc. And I think you're absolutely right. This is this is a big change in social norms and, and a wider system that's going to take time. And I believe a lot of parents, you know, they want to, they want to contribute to the cause, but a lot are also like suffering with their own internal struggles and trying to, you know, overcome and find a solution to the fact that they don't, they don't get to see their child grow up or their child has grown up and, and rejects them. So I, I was reading um, that you, you have a book, Diagnosing Parental Alienation, where you really talk about this five-factor model that we can use to diagnose parental alienation. And you recommend how parents could basically 
keep evidence on this, document it so that they can use it in courts. Um, it would be great if you could just summarize that or, or give some parents some kind of practical advice of, of things they could be doing today to, to help their case. Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, I want to start out saying that I'm not a lawyer, but um, my uh, it, it's a workbook called, yeah, like you said, Diagnosing Parental Alienation, the five-factor model workbook. It's on Amazon. And um, this is based on a forensic uh, model in psychology that used to prove parental alienation. Um, so for a lot of parents, when they go to court, and I see this a lot, is that you, um, because you are so deep in the case, you tend to get um, sort of overwhelmed, but also you, you don't see it from the outside perspective. So parents will go to court with like, you know, biters and biters, thick, thick biters of, of evidence, which has like, you know, text messages for like, from, for years and years of text messages and emails and just too much stuff. Um, and when you go to court like that, it's very difficult because it's, it's overwhelming for the judge and it's not clear. Um, you don't have a clear structure for your case and it makes it very hard to make an argument because then the judges see you as, um, as a dramatic person, right? They just see it as drama instead of recognizing the real problem. So if you structured your case around this forensic model, um, it can be very helpful because then now instead of, and a lot of parents go, Oh, I'm just going to present this as a, as a timeline. Well, that's the problem with timeline is one, it's just, just too much going on and nobody, especially outside of like a judge, they have so many cases on your docket, they don't have enough time to pay attention to you and you're going to lose them at some point. So if you structure it um, based on this model, then it's much easier for you. And that way it forced you to be selective and critical about what does this piece of evidence or let's say this particular text message or this email or this incident what does it mean you need to not just present your information but present it in a structured way because we are all overwhelmed with too much information and not it's sort of like too much noise and not enough signal so there's too much information instead of uh what does it mean this lack of substance so if you want to structure this way you it forced you to narrow down to go, okay, that particular group of messages means this, and it's related to that, and this is incident is related to that. So the five-factor model essentially look at the behaviors of everybody involved in the case. You know, it's asking you to prove that you probably had a good relationship with your child. It proves that you are a decent human being, that you're not abusive and, and neglecting of your child. It proves that the the other parent had behaviors that are alienating and damaging for the child. It proved that the child, so the, the studies have shown that when a child had been alienated, they have very specific behaviors that are not the same as children that have been abused or neglected. So if you use this model, and even for parents that don't want to use the term parental alienation in court, because I have seen mixed comment, you know, there are cases where, you know, judges will go completely against the term parental alienation. Sometimes they will accept the term. So whether you use it or not, and especially if you have expert witness that can help you with, um, you know, presenting parental alienation term, then it's up to you whether you use the term or not. But still, if you can structure your case around this five-factor model, it's much clearer for you to present your case. 
Great. I think that's so helpful. So if parents want to dig a bit deeper into that five-factor model and use it for their cases, uh, where can they find your book? Yeah, it's on Amazon right now. Um, like you said, it's called Diagnosing Parental Alienation, the five-factor model workbook. Uh, I think it's available in a lot of countries. Um, I, I think if you have um, Amazon, I think, Prime something. I'm not sure. Then it's free. And then if not, I think it's like, um, I'm not sure. I think maybe $3 or something. Okay. It's, it's, it's reasonably yeah. priced. Okay. That's, that's amazing. So uh, we are actually, uh, I'm looking at uh, updating that book and also creating. Um, so one of the feedback I've had from parents is that even though it's a workbook, um, it's hard for, because I have a sort of like a spreadsheet to show parents how to keep track of their evidence. Um, but it's hard for them to, um, because they have to go and create that, recreate that spreadsheet. So I'm looking at updating this and it should be out soon. Um, um, so, you know, the, the spreadsheet is going to be online so that parents can just go in and fill in the information instead of having to recreate it. But we're going to have, a, when it's out, we're going to let our mailing list know. Awesome. And, and you would say that this, this type of tool, this model can be used really in any court system because it's just kind of an organizational mechanism, correct? Right, because this is based on the forensic psychology. It is not about jurisdiction. It, it's really about how you think um, as a human being, how you look at any situation. If you see evidence um, on these different aspect, then it's naturally for you to come to the conclusion that that parent had been abusive and influencing the relationship that, between the child and the other parent. It's a natural, you know, human psychology understanding of the situation. So if you present your case based on this, it, it doesn't matter what country or what state you are, you, you, it's still going to be helpful. That's great. Um, do you have any, you know, expectations for victim to hero over the next two to three years any you know exciting initiatives on on the horizons that you're working on um i i mean we try to do too much i would say um i'm looking to figure out i'm trying to figure out how to make it sustainable because um so uh so i'm i'm I don't actually have a clear direction into that because every day, um, uh, I mean, we're getting messages from parents that's letting us know how it's helpful and all that. So we keep going and then it kind of feed us and then we just keep going. But I think I definitely need to figure out how to make this more structured and sustainable. But we're definitely going to continue with our mission, which is um, what we started out with is to empower the victims so that whether you are a parent or you are children, what can you do? And sometimes it may not be about finding the children, like what if you never find them? How can you still heal and be able to thrive in your life? Because for example, with my father, we never end up connecting, but how much he helped me in my healing when I finally found him after he passed. So for parents to not give up today, and what can you do today so that it's still going to help your children in the future? So for example, even like next week, we have uh, an event where we talk about future communication with your children. So things like that. So, you know, uh, we're going to stick with that 
um, goal, which is still empowering the victims. Um, and then other things like advocacy and um, public awareness, I I wanted to figure out a way to do it so that it's more focused and more sustainable, but I, I don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is just something, you know, you adapt as you go and you figure out what works best. Um, but I definitely really love the fact that you're using all of the different skills that you have from, you know, your, your life as an entrepreneur, your life in the entertainment industry and industry and using that for the cause. And I think that is a kind of an important message to get to parents and people interested in, you know, fighting against parental alienation abduction, that a lot of your skill sets, even if they're not typical skill sets that you would find in advocacy and NGO work are actually very critical and can often be used to support the cause. For sure. Definitely. Well, Petra, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Um, I really appreciate you sharing all of these emotional things about, about your personal history and how you got involved. Um, very excited to, to watch the documentary. And I really enjoyed hearing all about the amazing work you're doing at Victim to Hero. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with us today before we sign off? Um. Thank, thank you so much, really, for the opportunity for me to be here and share my story. I guess I wanted to say, though, I know that, you know, uh, I talk about a lot of challenges that we are facing, um, but I do want to leave a message of hope, a message of positivity, especially for the parents out there that are experiencing this, is that um, for them to understand that they are not alone that um, I have seen many successful cases. And sometimes even when it felt the most hopeless and the most helpless, you are not alone and you are more powerful than you realize. And to recognize that this is first and foremost the, a psychological warfare rather than anything that going on in court or anything that's going on physically out there, um, is to recognize that this is psychological warfare. That so, if you realize that, and if you can figure out how to heal yourself emotionally, psychologically, inside first, and if you are strong first, then you can win this. The other thing is that you may not get back what you lost. Thing will never be the way that you hope things would be because you know when you have your children, you have all these anticipation and hope for how that relationship with your child um to be, and you may not never get that but things can be so much better there's there's hope for you to get your children back and there's hope that that relationship is going to be so much better because what this has put you through is making you so much stronger making you so much better as a parent and if you can heal yourself first then you can Find a way to reunite with your children and then you can rebuild so much better than you thought. Because there are many parents out there today that have their children with them and taking that for granted. And then that relationship with their children is not good at all. And then they're just going day by day and they're busy with their work and not paying attention to their children and the children grow up and then that relationship just end up to be nothing. So in a way, um, it's, it's unfortunate and it's unfair what you are experiencing, what you're going through, but see this as an opportunity of growth, the opportunity of challenging yourself and never give up that conviction that you will get the children back, that you are a good parent and do everything you can to be stronger. Thank you. Thank you. That is great advice. 
I would remind everybody that's listening today that the goal of this podcast is to share knowledge with you and to let you know that you're not alone. With that said, if you need any specific legal advice, we do recommend reaching out to a qualified legal practitioner for that advice. If you're a minor or perhaps don't understand certain parts of this episode, please do reach out to a responsible adult or someone who can explain the episode to you. We've done our best to make sure that this episode doesn't offend anybody. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, you are more than welcome to reach out to me anytime at danielle.daura at findmyparent.org. If you have been separated from your parent, or perhaps someone you know has been separated from their parent, please go to our website, findmyparent.org, where you can start the search today for your missing parent. With the help of our artificial intelligence technology, you can be matched and reunited with your parent or child. If you're part of an NGO, private company, or any other type of organization that is passionate about this topic, please get in touch with us on our website as well. We would love to work together to create a greater impact. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. We hope to speak to you next week. Until then, take care. Oh!